Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Wealth Ability for CPAs show. Better clients, better practice, better life. Here's Tom Wheelwright. Welcome to the Wealth Ability Show for CPAs, where we're always discovering how to build better clients, a better practice, and a better life. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder, and CEO of the Wealth Ability Network. So, um, big topic over the last couple of years, and particularly in our industry, is burnout. And so, today, we're going to discover how to conquer burnout in our workplace and for ourselves and create maximum production within our workplace. And how can we change the workplace to actually reduce the level of burnout and actually uh, increase the level of production? We have the foremost authority on this, uh, Christina Maslach. And uh, Christina has written the books on it. She's the one who got the World Health Organization to approve this as a real, um, a real issue in the public. And so it is, Christina, it's absolutely a pleasure and an honor to have you with us today. Oh, well, thank you so much for inviting me. If you would, could you give us just a little of your background? What what got you into this field <laughs> and why burnout? I, I remember 20 years ago going through what I considered burnout at the time. And I, I think you would it would probably qualify that way. I, I, I can't even find a book on it. There was nothing on it. <laughs> Okay. So, so what, what got you into this and when did, when did you start looking at this? Ah, okay. Well, I'm a professor of psychology at uh, University of California, Berkeley, and I'm now retired, but uh, I did research on a number of different topics, but burnout was a complete serendipitous surprise. I didn't know about it, had never heard about it. I sort of tripped over it by accident. I was doing interviews with people around other issues on emotion and how people, you know, uh, take care of themselves in their lives, especially if they're in very difficult jobs. And people would answer my questions and then they'd say, could I talk a little bit more and tell you some other things, you know, about the, you know, the job and how I'm doing? And I'd say, yeah, sure. Confidential interview. Yeah, go right ahead. And after a while, I began to notice there was a certain kind of rhythm to mm. these interviews, what people were telling me. And I would ask them about it. They didn't really have a name necessarily. Um, and then a second serendipitous thing happened. I was at a, you know, a dinner for new people to the university. Welcome, you know, and I'm chatting with people on either side. And I spoke with someone um, who was new to the law school and she said, oh my God, I don't know what you call it in other places, but in poverty law, legal services, where I was before that week talked about it is burnout. 
I thought, hmm, that's interesting. And so when I would end the interviews, I would ask people, um, you know, detached, concerned, is this the kind of capture? Well, no, not really. Dehumanization, you're treating people like object. No, 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 no. What about burnout? Yes, that's it. That's it. That captured their feelings. And so my first article where I was writing about all of these interviews, because I couldn't actually get it published in a research journal, uh, was in a magazine called Human Behavior in 1976. So it's been, you know, four more decades that I've been doing work on this, not always as my main interest, but more and more so over the years as I've learned more and said, my God, this is a problem. People are getting upset. They're getting angry. They're crying during the interviews. Something's going on here. And that's really how I got into doing the research on it. All right. So let me ask you the most basic question. <laughs> yeah. In, in, a, in a few words or sentences, how do you describe burnout? Burnout is a stress response. It's a response to chronic job stressors that haven't been well managed. So there's a couple of things to point out about that. Chronic. Chronic, we, we don't recover. We, people, don't recover as well from chronic stressors. They're there high frequency all the time, most of the time. You never get away from them. You can't really, as opposed to occasional crises or emergencies or, you know, whatever. Um, so the fact that these are these chronic pebbles in your shoe that just are always getting in the way, obstacles, you know, making difficulties, you know, painful, et cetera. So that's, that's one important thing. The second important point is chronic job stressors that have not been successfully managed, which implies positively they could be. These are not things that are like out of our control or out of our hands, but they could be. And so in some sense, it's how do we manage the, the stressors and reduce them or make them less frequent or have better ways of coping or something like that. So it's as much about how do we fix the job on this side and match people in a better way with that job so that there's a good fit. People can thrive. They don't have to get beaten down, you know, by, by the work. So, so how would you describe the, the primary symptoms of burnout? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say symptoms. And the reason I wouldn't say that is because it's not a medical disease. It really is. I mean, if we start thinking of it as a disease or an illness um, and it's something within the person, then we start looking for different answers, um, which don't always work. So it's not symptoms, but there are certain characteristics of this stress response. One is stress. So this is the exhaustion response. You know, we've given it our all, we've done all we can, we're tired, we're wiped out, we cannot talk to one more person, we cannot, blah, you know, just gotta get out of here, get home. Um, so it has that, and stress response, the exhaustion, keep in mind, is a normal, response for human beings. Thank God we have it so that when we've got threats or challenges, we, our body, our mind, everything gets, gets revved up and, and goes into action. So it's not a pathology, but it can have long-term consequences. If people are unable to cope with those chronic high-frequency job stressors. Uh, and so there are sort of, in addition to the exhaustion of stress, you see two things. One, people turn on the job environment. Take this job and shove it, as an old country Western song goes. Uh, so how it's being managed, what we're doing, they don't know, this is ridiculous how we're having to deal with all of this. You get negative, hostile, cynical about the workplace. Do the bare minimum rather than trying to do your very best. You can't make it all. So what are you going to do? 
Uh, and that's that's one. And for me, that's really more the hallmark of burnout, not the the stress per se, um, but what happens as in terms of the work you're doing and how you're feeling about that. The third aspect of burnout is you begin to get feel negative about yourself. What's wrong with me? Why can't I handle this? Um, maybe I made a mistake. I shouldn't be in accounting. You know, I should be somewhere else or doing, you know, whatever. So those two aspects of it, the negative about the job, the negative about oneself can lead to health consequences, to pro, you know, productivity, performance consequences down the road. You don't do a job as well. You're making more mistakes. You're more absent. Can't count on people. Uh, you're beginning to get <clears throat> anxious. You're beginning to get depressed. Um, you're having trouble with the family you're, you know, or, or, or whatever. So there are health consequences. And the World Health Organization pointed this out, but said that you know the stress response of burnout is the warning sign, you know, that things could, you know, are right. not working well, but it's not a disease itself. It can have health consequences later, but in and of itself, it's not. Well, I'm glad to hear it's not a disease. So you, you mentioned chronic. So one of the things that, of course, in, my indus in our industry, we've been doing for years and years and years, <laughs> we work really heavy hours during, say, February, March, and April. April. Um, then we collapse at the end of <laughs> April. Right. For a couple of weeks, then we're back on our feet and we're fine. And we work heavy hours in September and October and then, you know, life is okay. And typically we're able to do a 40, 50 year career out of that. And it's not a big deal. But when you talk about chronic, you're not talking about two months a year. You're talking about 12 months a year, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, most of the time, all the time. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so, so let me ask you this question. So, so you mentioned in your books that um, this is really something that is a consequence of a workplace environment, of something that can be changed in the workplace. So what are some of the things in the workplace environment that actually cause this uh, burnout among um, people? And of course, it'll cause burnout among some and not others. So, yeah. um, you know, why, why is that? Yeah, well, um, as we talk about in the in the book, you know, we say in the subtitle, sort of managing the relationship between the job and the person. So there are, you know, it takes two in some sense to tango there. And so different people might be able to cope differently or have different strategies or are in a different position to deal with it more effectively than perhaps others. But if you look at the workplace side of it, um, what we found in the research is that there are six areas in which mismatches between the person and the job can lead to burnout down the road. Um, so just quickly, I'll say the six and then say a little bit about them. Um, workload, everybody thinks about that, but there's five more. How much control you have, autonomy in your work, how much uh, positive feedback reward you get for doing a job well, uh, the workplace community, your relationships with your colleagues, with other staff, with clients, you know, this kind of thing. Uh, is that going well or not? Um, fairness, whatever the policies, procedures, practices in, we have here, that they're being fairly administered as opposed to going, you know, to the people who didn't deserve it and not to the people who do. Uh, and finally, values, which is really about meaning in life, why I think I'm proud of what I do, that there is something important in what I'm able to accomplish. And I feel like I've, I've made a good contribution in terms of the life I, I lead. So all of those six areas can be 
working with a relatively, doesn't have to be perfect, but it, you know, a relatively good fit or match between people in, in the job. Um, and, you know, it can be, it can go in different kind of patterns, seasonal, as you're talking about, for example, uh, or other things, but, uh, and they can overlap. I mean, they're not independent. So for example, uh, when I've talked with a lot of people, even during the pandemic, they're talking about workload. Oh my God, I've got too much to do. Can't possibly get it done. They're tired and exhausted in the morning. And if I say, well, okay, but how are you feeling about the particular job, the company or the organization you're working? Oh no, this is a good place. I'm really glad I've got it. And they still got this job and said, okay, how are you feeling about the work you do? Are you, a well, you know, it's tough because there's so much, but yeah, I, th I think I'm pretty good at this and I'm, I'm feeling okay. And I'm saying, you're not burned out. You're overextended because of the exhaustion, the stress. And usually that's because you have an impossible workload where the mismatch is high, high demands, low resources. You don't have enough time, enough people, enough you know information, whatever equipment you need to get it done uh, well in a timely way. Um, so we, we can, you know, or we, we give an example in the book from a lot of different organizations. And like one is, uh, one was a reward in a company, you know, a distinguished service award, which is, you know, giving people a special positive bonus thing for doing something really unusual and, and good, except that it was really unfair how they decided who got that award. And in that organization where we were doing research, there was literally venom dripping out of people's mouths when they talked about that award. They hated that award because it was just so awful. They didn't, you know, blah. So part of what um, we did, and we, we talk about it in, in, the, in the book, is they decided, wait, this is a problem. We're not fair? How could we not be fair here? And they went and redid that whole award and rethought, what do we want to do? How do we get, how do we decide who's really doing something special needs to be? And they changed it. And when we came back a year later to kind of look at what they were doing, fairness wasn't an issue anymore. They were feeling, mm. and people were saying, well, if we could change that, we could fix this thing over here. You know, it, it builds hope. It builds optimism. You could take a little thing and, and make it better. And it actually, you know, we get to work together. We had fun doing it, finally figuring it out. You know, there's ripple effects. So the idea that... Um, the you know, before the pandemic, the, the mantra we would often hear is the job is what it is. And basically that's saying there is a gap and a mismatch between you and the job. And if you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen, the job is not going to change. Um, and you have to make up the distance all the way through. Well, guess what? During the pandemic, we found out that the job had to change. We had to do a lot of things differently. Sometimes it worked out well. Sometimes it worked out badly. We can learn from all of the, the mistakes and the successes and stuff. But it's like, you know, the job could be different. I could, I mean, for example, the easy one is to say a lot of people discovered I don't have to commute for hours a day to get to work because I can actually get some of this done somewhere else. Could be home, could be another place. You save the money, save the lost time, you know, I mean, the commute, not work, but it's not playtime either, you know, kind of, it's not sleep. Um, so I think that um, it, this is helping people understand that these chronic job stressors, which in the healthcare industry, they often talk about it as pebbles in your shoe. 
-hmm. you know, it's not the great big reinvent healthcare for the 21st century kind of thing. It's what is the daily stuff that is just getting in the way and dragging us down and, you know, how do we fix that? So, so let's talk a little bit about the pandemic and the results of the pandemic, because yeah. you mentioned, so you mentioned two things that some could, I, and I've heard other entrepreneurs say is uh, there's some inconsistency here. One is, well, I can get some work done from home. And the other you mentioned is the importance of community. So mm -hmm. community is obviously way more difficult mm -hmm. when you're online than right. it is when you're in person. Mm -hmm. So how do you balance those in a workplace where you know, people go, people have had two years plus working from home. They like working from home, but whether they know they miss it or not, they clearly miss the community and the community yeah. misses them. So yeah. how do you balance those? Yeah, it's a good question. And, uh, you know, it's not to sort of advocate that working from home is the way to go because sometimes it's not. Uh, but it's just, it's one of those things where if that could change, other things could change, you know, we could, we could find out. And what we were discovering was that sometimes working from home was surprisingly better for people. In other cases, it was not, it was worse. Uh, so there are pros and cons, it's, you know, uh, on that. But in terms of community, um, I think what I've been seeing is that many organizations, companies, et cetera, are saying, return to work or do a hybrid, you know, and come in on some days, but they're not really articulating why and what it is we're going to do when we're actually together, when some of the stuff is, I'm in my little cubicle and right. doing my work and I could do that without having the, the morning commute or something like that. So being, so saying, well, you know, pick some days you can come in, that's not a solution because people say, I might show up and nobody else is there. So what's the point? Um, and can we say more about what is the, you know, the social kind of environment we want to have and when do we need it and why is it important? And can we come up with a plan that people can sort of all kind of come together and buy into as to when we need to get together and really spend that time doing the sort of stuff that really makes a difference. Um, and how do we, how do we work with, you know, some of the, uh, the other uh, kinds of things. The other thing I wanted to say is that in some cases, um, uh, community has been the big problem area for people. And the fact that they could not have right. to come in and right get this toxic workplace where people are mm. not helpful. You can't, you don't know who to turn to for advice because they're going to look down at you and say, Oh, what's wrong with you? You know, you're not a hundred percent. You know, I'm going to get thrown under the bus. So I'll just, you know, hush up and do my thing. And for them saying it was better environment because I didn't have to deal with all that sort of socially toxic stuff, as opposed to people who say, love the office, the team that I'm working with. They are the greatest. They are the best. I, you know, my salary may not be great. The building is a little crap, but the people it's like gold in the bank. And, you know, when you have a team or groups or, you know, different units that can really do work well together, help each other out. Um, one of the things I hear from people most often when I say, what would be the thing you'd want to have? They've often talked about a mentor, a safe harbor, a person who I could talk to safely about questions, concerns, worries, 
confidentially and, you know, somebody who's a little older, more senior, more wisdom here, and they'll treat it, you know, uh, in, in a good way. And um, having, having that kind of um, support and trust and it's reciprocal. I I do the same for others. You know, how do I help with the people who are new on the job and, and stuff like that? So do we create um, uh, a community and an environment in which people say, I'm happy to be here, glad to see people. Uh, and many times I will find when I meet with people that they haven't seen their colleagues in person, even before the pandemic, because they are so busy, they've got to do things in their office over the lunch hour, they can't even get to get, you know, all this kind of thing. Um, so the community has to be something that um, people can thrive in, that they feel um, I can turn to other people, people can turn to me, we, we, we can figure out, we can problem solve, we may not all be on the same page all the time, but we'll get together and figure out how do we move forward. Uh, you know, we, we do things together that are fun as well and meaningful, you know, and build those kind of relationships. Um, and so <clears throat> a lot of what we've seen recently, when I say we, I'm talking about other researchers besides myself, um, is this hustle culture that uh, the best thing you can do is raise your hand, say, yeah, okay, I can do that too. You know, get myself in line, you know, for the promotion and then realizing I'm not having friends. I'm a couch potato. I am not sleeping well. I'm, you know, it's hard getting all this work done and somehow this is not a great life. Uh, so this hustle, this grind in China, the, the 996, nine o'clock to 9 p.m., six days a week, and people are trying to lie flat, you know, and stay in the bathroom longer to do other things and relax mm -hmm. and, you know, because it's just too much and it's taking a toll it's too on much. them. One of the things you've mentioned a couple of times, and I, I know you mentioned in your book, and by the way, the book is The Burnout Challenge, um, followed up by The Truth About Burnout. And um, But one of the things you mention a lot is mismatch, hmm. right? This idea of mismatching. So what I've heard you say when you've been talking about these six, like workload, workload can be too much and it can be too little, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah. uh, con control can be too much, but it can be overwhelming. Yep. Um, you know, feedback can be positive. It can be negative. So, so you've got, it, it's, it's really not that these things are good or bad. It's how you do these things and match them up with the team environment. Is that a, is, is yeah. that fair? Oh yeah, sure. Sure. It's um, I mean, you know, for example, the, the control often what we were finding is that people, it wasn't the workload so much, although that's the first thing that would come to mind but it was whether it was a controllable workload, whether they had any say about coming in for overtime, whether they had any uh, discretion to kind of do the job a little bit differently because something new popped up and we had to course correct on the spot. You know, so um, uh, things can, it doesn't mean it has to be positive, happy, never stressful, you know, all the time, but it's that we have a way of when we run into these sort of chronic pebbles um, say, wait a minute, maybe we could redesign this and do intake a little different. Maybe we could do this a rotation over here. What, what do you, you know? And often <clears throat> what I find is that um, uh, some one of the most demoralizing things for a lot of people has been that despite their training and then they're doing well and, you know, and all the rest of it, 
they never get asked to contribute ideas mm. about how we could do this a little differently, a little better. It used to work fine, but now, you know, we keep adding things we never subtract off people's plate. You know, what could we, you know, is there some stuff that really is not needed anymore or, you know, could be redesigned to be much more, you know, quick, efficient and less of a, of a burden on people. Um, and to never be asked, just to be told you're going to do it X way or Y way and saying, we're going to have problems if we do it X way. Could we talk? <laughs> you know, could we, you know, so this idea of really getting the relevant people on sort of the same page to figure out problems, to come up with ideas of how we could make this a little better. They are going to have to carry it out. They better be feeling, yes, good, finally, you know, we're getting this, you know, taken care of. Um, and uh, so it's, it's, I think in, in some ways, what we're talking about is, uh, and, and we use this, this phrase towards the end of the book, is, is like having a regular checkup for your health. You know, when you go in and you get a bunch of tests and you maybe see a doctor and talk about what's working well, what's working not, and then making some changes in terms of what your diet or medication or exercise, whatever it is to say, how do I get better? Uh, healthier, live a better life. Um, another two, three years, you check in again. You don't just say it's done, perfect, will be that way forever. If we learned anything from the pandemic is that the world can change on a dime and we are not always prepared for what is happening. And we're going to have to ad lib and come up with some other alternatives. So why not have it as a sort of more regular way in which we check it? What's working well? You know, is there some other stuff that that actually might help us out, um, and and you know, and and get that uh, in some way? Because the world will be different. <laughs> you know, you and I know that. You know, in a few more years, and we may not know exactly what we're going to have to deal with um, as you know as things change. Well, um, Christina, this has been great words of wisdom. Um, thank, thank you, you. <laughs> so much, so much to unpack here. Um, the book is the Burnout Challenge, right? Right. And um, uh, where would we find more information about you and um, and your work? Ah, uh, um, well, I uh, if you go to the University of California Berkeley website, look for Maslach and Psychology. There's a whole little little page there, you know, uh, on it. Uh, we also there is a. Uh, Either you go to a bookseller like Amazon or something like that. They have uh, a lot of other information about us and my co-author, uh, Michael Leiter, on that. And um, there's also the burnoutchallenge.com website that says a lot oh, awesome. about the awesome. book. And it's we're really we're really pleased with how the book has been doing and and the ratings and reviews that it's been getting. And people are sort of saying, yeah, we can. This is what we wanted. How do we how do we learn from the research? put it into everyday language that could be used and said, okay, translate it into your kind of profession. What you do in healthcare is different than what you do in a school, than in what you do in a tax firm, than you, what you do in a tech firm, you know? So, um, yeah. Hopefully I, I love that you're, I love that you're making it practical. I, I've got to say not a whole lot of professors can do that. Um, <laughs> not a whole lot of professors can make it practical. Um, in, in, in word, final words, uh, practical words for our listeners. I think the, the practical advice is to say that um, you should value all parts of your life and 
realize that, you know, there's a limited time you're going to be on this planet and you have things to do and things to contribute. And it's important to figure out how you can work with other people to make it a little bit better for all of us. It's more of a we problem instead of just me, you know, kind of thing. And, um, and working, you know, collaboratively on making this a better place where we want to be and want to do some important things and still have a life, <laughs> all the rest of it, uh, and get enough sleep at night uh, would be a, a good thing for just having the best life you can. I love it. So again, Christina Maslach, and the book is The Burnout Challenge. Uh, th th this is something that, of course, we've thought about in the CPA profession long before burnout was a recognized <laughs> term. Um, we've had a lot of people retire from the profession over the last couple of years, especially. Um, and I, you know, I, I see this mismatch that you're talking about, and uh, it's really about matching. And when we when we match up the way we uh, the way we can. And we can actually make those changes. We typically will end up with a better, better clients, better practice, and a better life. We'll see everyone next time. You've been listening to the WealthAbility for CPA show. Better clients, better practice, better life. To learn more, go to WealthAbility.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>